We are called to admonish the sinner and instruct the ignorant. At AveMariaRadio.net's Poll of the Week, we want to know, have you ever tried to fraternally correct someone? Let us know by going to AveMariaRadio.net and clicking on Poll of the Week. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. We often forget that uh, baby boomers are the first generation to have grown up with television. And now, of course, look what's happened within the lifetime, lifespan of baby boomers. Uh, We've now got smartphones, which in fact aren't so much phones as they are computers that happen to have a, a phone application on them. And we spend vast amounts of our time in front of screens whether it's the television screen or whether it's, in fact, monitors that we set up to watch various programs, whether it's screens on our, uh, our phones, we have screens all over. What does that do to the power of imagination? With me right now is Elijah Jean, uh, a priest in Oregon who writes under this pen name as a connection to the prophets. He's the author of a recent book, Imagination Gone Wild. And uh, Elijah, good to have you with me. Thanks. Well, thank you. Good uh, to be with you. We are created in God's image, and I suppose then in some way we also become image makers ourselves. Right. Well, you know, if you look at the at the point of history where we began, you know, first they were writing on the rocks. The people in the early ages uh, were drawing pictures of animals and hunting experiences. And then eventually, of course, as um, color and movement uh, developed, you know, it started going into the churches as we saw the development of stained glass windows. Mm -hmm. And uh, people were able to see the faith through pictures that way. So it was a good use of of, uh, images. But then, of course, with the modern era, we moved into a whole new element. Not only were the images just um, there, but they were moving. And uh, with that came, of course, the television um, in the, what, 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. And then we moved into the computer generation. And now you have the access on a cell phone. Yeah. And, it's, and again, uh, surveys have been done indicating that uh, people spend a vast amount of time in front of screens, uh, and especially young people. Uh, do you have any right. idea how much time young people are spending in front of screens? Well, I believe they've been quoting, at least in the recent times, about five hours a day, but it could be more than that. Um, yeah, that was kind of interesting because that was part of what really got me looking at this, too, because I moved to an area in uh, southeastern Oregon where there's uh, there's a lot of cattle ranchers and there was no cell phone towers. So... People, people were really based in working with what was in front of them, and uh, even the the students at the high school I noticed were were speaking with you and greeting you, and it wasn't that whole culture that was always on a cell phone. So it it's interesting to see how it's pulled so many people in, particularly our young people, because the imagination is a strong force within the human person. In what does screen use do to the human imagination? Well, and what I I believe is happening in in our um, our drowning of it, you know, because we've immersed ourselves so much. Um, 
that we can we can drown the sense. Uh, one of the five senses, particularly the eyes, is a powerful part of the human person. Mm-hmm. And as um, I have a friend who is one of the 800 exorcists in the world, you know, he says that um, if one of the senses get drowned, that can kind of be a door for the devil to enter in. Interesting. Um, and um, so we've come to the point now, not only, well, touch is, is big, smell is big, of course, with incense in homes and things, but, you know, the eyes are a powerful part of the human person, and they really have to be guarded and protected because, as I quote in the book, uh, St. Alphonsus says, um, death is to come through our windows, that's Jeremiah 9.21, and death comes through the eyes. And so um, you had the saints writing about the power of the eyes and, and custody of the eyes in previous times. And now we have full immersion of um, images that are coming to us. Um, you know, they can be good, of course, and raise your mind to the level of love. But they can also uh, enslave a person, and they're enslaving millions right now, and that was part of what kind of got me to want to write the book. Because you see this as a new form of bondage that people are entering into. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, and, you know, I was just in the airport um, about a month ago or so, and, you know, I said, I wonder if if I'm going to be able to talk to anybody here, because I just have a flip phone I use, and... um, then I sit down and read or something, you know, at the airport. But, you know, you go to the airports, is a good place to see, you know, and I realize people need to find their flights and stuff like that. But, um, you know, everybody is is really locked into looking down at yeah. that and, um, and being immersed in it. And I think we have to really look at that now and start to move away from being stuck in the imagination. That's what the whole book is about, to coming back to reality. It is interesting. I, I've noticed that I don't have as many conversations as I used to have when I travel. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it's because, well, because I and uh, other people who are traveling with me are preoccupied with their smartphones. <laughs> I mean, we can, right. do, we can right. work uh, on our phones. Uh, we have other things right. to do. When, in fact, often in the past, we might read a book. Uh, sure. But uh, most of the time when we're traveling, we, we're sitting there looking at the landscape or, you know, and we right. would take the occasion to, hi, I'm Al Cresta. Uh, where are you heading? Where are you traveling to? Those, those right. little overtures are, are much less frequent today, in my life anyways, than they used to be. No, absolutely. And, you know, you see, I was, I was, when I was traveling this last trip and stuff on the nightly news, they had um, a, a test for a family that they were doing with the local news, and they were going to see what was going to happen with the family when they shut their phones off for three days. Hmm. And, you know, the little blip was the father said, hey, we started talking to one another. <laughs> we started <laughs> interacting with one another once again. So it was a beautiful experience, and they saw the good out of that. Yeah, I uh, challenge my uh, parishioners to you know try to shut it off for forty days during Lent. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of them will come back and and say you know we don't think we're going to turn on again <laughs> because right. we really got used to it. And so I think what the whole point of my book is trying to do is to bring people back into the reality, which is the fastest way that you grow in faith by facing what is in front of you. 
Mm-hmm. It's not that images, once again, can't move us to raise our mind to the level of love, but you grow fastest with the reality that is in front of you. Of course, that's coming out of Aristotle and, yeah. and uh, St. Thomas. I mean, images do have, uh, and actually are fashioned to create a sense of illusion, a sense of fantasy, uh, in a way right. to distance us from uh, reality. Right. Well, and then, you know, because uh, we store the images that come into our minds in an image bank, and then, of course, uh, we can begin to create things that um, really can can be detrimental to yeah. our to our lives and our relationships. And, uh, for instance, um, I use the example in the book that, you know, you've seen an elephant at the zoo, and so, you know, you can bring an elephant up on the, on the screen of your mind, and you know what the color pink polka dotted looks like, mm-hmm. okay? And so now construct a pink polka dotted elephant. And um, we can do that in our imagination. But what happens is we also take pictures in our life with uh, the images that come to us in the day. And uh, maybe we're at work and, you know, something pops up into our mind in relationships with our fellow workers. And we take a picture of that and we say, you know, that person didn't greet me. Hmm. Um, uh, what did I do? You know, is there something wrong uh, with the situation? And um, you come back to the end of the day and you find out that person was sick or something, and it really wasn't what you thought in your imagination was going on. And um, and that's how we can get divisions. Um, of course, we know the devil uh, in Scripture comes to tempt us uh, through divisions, he says a house divided cannot stand, but I would go further and say a mind divided cannot stand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we need to be focused on the one reality that's in front of us, and um, that's that's kind of what I'm trying to help people do in the book is really bring them back to some things. And and it's not easy because I gave a book to my neighbor, and he, he read it and he said, you know, this is hard. <laughs> I said, I know it is, because we have to kind of look at ourselves interiorly, and a lot of times we don't want to do that. We don't want to take the time to labor interiorly, but I'll tell you what, it will help you in the end to be more at peace, and it's it's basically divine psychology from the Lord is, to, to stay in the present moment with Jesus. Yes, yes. So does that mean mortifying the imagination? Yes, um, you know, God is is uh, is working with us, both and, so we cooperate with God. God doesn't come down in tire shoes, as you probably heard before, uh, but he wants us to cooperate with him. And so in mortifying the magic imagination, uh, we're cooperating with God to turn away from the images and, and cut things more short, uh, particularly in recognizing what is the big source that's flooding me constantly in my mind. Now, we can't ultimately purify the imagination. It's not It's not like, you know, we do one plus one and all of a sudden it's purified. Purification is the process. So it, it, it requires both um, staying before the Lord in adoration and prayer and inviting the Lord to be with us, but it also in, in includes... Uh, mortifying the imagination, which means that we have to cut. If there's something that's really causing us uh, detriment, as Scripture says, 
um, if something causes you to sin, cut it out. And um, so if uh, you just start beginning to recognize how much time you're spending in front of, of an imaginative source, and are you looking for the next one? To, to to come about uh, when uh, you get off of it, that you're ready to go back to to YouTube or whatever to uh, hmm. get a pop from the video, whatever it might be. Are you looking for the next movie? And is is that your reference point in life? You know, like a lot of um, uh, times on the news, you'll you'll hear them say, "Oh, it was just like the movies. It was just like the movies, um, an earthquake or whatever it, it may have happened." As and you see that very often. Yeah. Well, our reference point must be the reality that's in front of us. Yeah, yeah, not not the movie, not the movie, no, not in the movie. <laughs> and 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 further and further away from that too, as Hollywood, you know, leads us in in such wrong directions. We have to we have to be uh, aware of what's happening to us. The book is called Imagination Gone Wild by Elijah John. We'll have it available in the online bookstore. Elijah, thanks so much. Good talking with you. Thank you very much. God bless.